So our And God Said series continues. And so just to remind you, the first week we talked about, and God said, do whatever you want, um, which really was about free will, that God loves us so much that um, we have been given the ability to choose, frankly, our will over God's. So, and then Leanne talked to us about, um, it's not about you. It was, and God said, get over yourself. That, that really as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be doing God's will, not ours. Even though God has given us the ability to do that. And so today we're going to talk about, and God said, no more blood. If you're a little squeamish, this might not be your favorite sermon. Blood is an interesting thing. I mean, really, it is a symbol of life. Without blood, there is no life. And we as humans have had this really interesting practice that started in the 5th century B.C. and was practiced all the way up to the 1800s. It's called bloodletting. And the idea was if you were sick, you had some bad blood, and we're going to let that bad blood flow out of you. And so they would slice your veins, take a little bit of blood out, patch it back up, and then rinse and repeat. And basically, you either got better or you died. Maybe from lack of blood. I don't know. But this is a practice that we as humans have practiced from the 5th century and was actually practiced until the 1800s. There's actually still some bloodletting that happens for a variety of reasons, and sometimes they use leeches to help with that. But bloodletting. But we also have, for a long time, believed that blood can atone for sins. I mean, it's part of the Mosaic law. And the Jews would come to the temple and they would sacrifice. And the blood of the animals was meant to wash away the sin. And there was this annual day called the Day of Atonement when when all of the Jews were supposed to come to Jerusalem and the priest would sacrifice animals, basically one from each family. So it'd be like you bringing a bull with you to church today. And a big job of the priest was to sacrifice that animal. And there's historical accounts of the priests actually being knee-deep in blood on the Day of Atonement as they sacrifice these bulls and sheep and birds. Clearly, it was ineffective because they had to come back every year. They had to come back and make another atonement. More blood had to be spilled. And you know, if, if I were a priest in those days, as I was sacrificing bull after bull after bull, I'd have to ask myself, hey, God, isn't there a better way? Isn't there another way? to atone for these people's sins? Well, God provided another way. And it was his son, Jesus, 
that provided another way. Such that God said, no more blood need be spilled to atone for your sins. So our text today comes from the book of Hebrews. And in it, the author is writing to the Jews, trying to convince them that Jesus is the better way, the superior way. And when we talk about the law here, we're talking about the Mosaic law, the idea that the Jews had to follow these rules in order to be right with God. So the author says this. This is verse 10, verses 1 through 14. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who approach. Otherwise, would they not have ceased being offered, since the worshipers cleansed once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in all these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, see, God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, see, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. It is only by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. It's the word of God for the people of God. That's a long passage and I know this. <clears throat> but in the first part of it, verses 1 through 4, he's making the case that, that there is the law and it's really not working. That, that Jesus has come to bring in something better than the law. He, he's trying to convince the people that, that Jesus is the superior way. Jesus is the way. And, and he uses this word perfect. That they come and they make a sacrifice, sacrifice after sacrifice, and still <clears throat> they are not made perfect. And the Greek word that they're using here is teleos, and it actually means complete. So oftentimes when we hear the word perfect, 
kind of in our Western state of mind, we think about without error or without flaw. But when we're reading in Scripture, the word perfect really needs to be kind of translated in your head as complete, mature, full. And so the author is making the point that all of these sacrifices are not making the people complete. Now, the Jews are keeping the law. They're doing what they are told. And he is trying to convince the Jews that Jesus is the superior way, that there is a new way. A new covenant has been made through the birth, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. The writer goes on to make the point that Jesus came and was the sacrifice. The writer, he points to the words from Psalm 40. He puts those words sort of in Jesus' mouth, saying these sacrifices are not pleasing to you. We understand that these sacrifices don't work, and these are not pleasing to you, O God, but I am here. You gave me a body, and I am here to do your will. Go home and read Psalm 40, and you'll see the sections that the author has taken from Psalm 40 and put them in Jesus' mouth, saying, I am here, I have my body, and I am here to do your will. And we read in verse 10, that it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Never again does that sacrifice have to be made. This is the last sacrifice that ever needs to happen. God is in effect saying no more blood needs to be shed in order to, for you to have your sins forgiven. It is done. It is completed. It is finished. Then in verse 11 and four, through 14, we find the, the author is reiterating this point that Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the superior way, and this sacrifice has been made for you. There's two things I want to sort of explore. The first is that through the blood, through the sacrifice, through the obedience of Jesus, we have been made whole. We have been forgiven. And the other thing I want to talk a little bit about is this idea of sanctification. For, for us Methodists, that sort of has a unique meaning. And we, we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about this idea of Wesley's understanding of justifying grace and sanctifying grace. Justifying grace is that moment in which you accept the grace of Jesus Christ that has been given to you, the gift of salvation that has been paid for you through the blood of Jesus. And then we understand sanctifying grace is the journey beyond that of justifying grace. That's our journey as a disciple, our efforts to become more Christ-like in all that we do, to explore really what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's a lifelong journey. Despite this claim of Methodism that we come to perfection, its wholeness, its completeness, it's not perfect. 
And so when we talk here about us being sanctified by the blood of Jesus, it's really more like justifying grace. It's that moment when we have come to Christ and said yes to this gift that has been given us. So as we talk more about this, don't don't get caught up with the idea of sanctifying grace. What this is justifying grace, this moment in which your sins have been forgiven because they were purchased by the blood of Jesus. This word sanctified, is, it's an interesting word. It really has four meanings, and, and they really all apply to us. The first understanding of this word sanctify is to separate from the profane things of this world and to be dedicated to God. It also means that we are free from the guilt of sin. That's a huge one, y'all. To be free from the guilt of sin. I mean, the truth is, none of us are perfect. None of us are without sin. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we don't have to carry that burden around. And then the, the, the fourth understanding of this word is to purify internally. A purification of your heart. And I'm not sure what communion might mean to you. But, But for me, every time I come and receive the elements, there is within my heart a renewing of my commitment to be obedient to the will of God. That's part of what it means for us to be sanctified. So now let's look at verses 5 through 7. What is it that the writer is saying in these words? Here he's talking about the obedience that Jesus is bringing to this. You know, we, we understand that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. And, and I've told you before that if you think too hard about how Jesus can be both fully human and fully divine, you'll get a headache. I speak from experience. It's hard to understand. But if we believe that Jesus is fully human... That means that he experiences everything you do. That means he got tired. Means he got days when he didn't feel well. And he also faced temptation. Just like you. Except in Jesus' case, he was able to be perfectly obedient to God's will unlike you or me. So, so 
The question for me is, was it really Jesus' blood that paid the price for my sins? Or was it his obedience? His perfect obedience to God's will. Uh, the truth of it is, I think it's probably somewhere in between. Certainly the symbolism of the blood is appropriate, given all of the sacrifices that were made for Jews in the past. But without Jesus' obedience to God's will, I don't think the blood does anything. It's the fact that Jesus, God himself, took on human form and was obedient to God's will. The truth of it is there is no path to God that does not require obedience on your part, on my part. I mean, the, the true response to the gift of grace that Jesus has given us is to be obedient to God's will. I mean, if you have said yes to Jesus and you don't desire to do God's will, I think you've missed the point. Our response to the grace that has been given to us is to be obedient to God's will. Now, look, I get obedient is a, is a it's kind of scary word. I mean, we want our dogs to be obedient. We want our children to be obedient. But do we really want to be considered obedient? I do. I want to be obedient to God's will. And look, the puzzle is in what is God's will, right? I mean, it's, it's for us in Scripture. We have a pretty good idea. Love your neighbor. Love your God. Do good. I mean, that's the puzzle for us is to figure out what is God's will. But I know this, I want to be obedient to what God's will is for my life. For there is no path to God without obedience. I mean, think about this. Jesus died and was resurrected so that you could be set apart. When you experience that justifying grace of Jesus, you are set apart. You are marked as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus. What a precious gift. It means that you get to experience salvation in this lifetime and in the next. Part of experiencing that salvation in this lifetime is your obedience to God's will. You've been sanctified, made holy. I think that means that we shouldn't look 
like the rest of the world. I think it means that we shouldn't act like the rest of the world. What's that old hymn? They'll know we are Christians by our love. Can we really say that? I mean, we are sanctified. We are set apart. We have to find ways to stand apart from the world. Yes, we have to live in it. Yes, we have to have jobs. But we need to look different. We need to act differently than the rest of the world because Jesus died that you might be made holy, that you might be set apart. It was the perfect obedience in the life of Jesus that sets us apart. It's your obedience to God's will that sets you apart from the rest of the world. So as you go forth from this place today, I want you to ask yourself, am I obedient to God's will? Maybe ask yourself, how can I be more obedient to what is God's will for my life? Because it's that that separates you who are made holy through the blood of Jesus from the rest of the world. It's your obedience. Let us pray. Gracious God, So often we choose our will over yours. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing. But sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we clearly know your will and we choose something else. Father, forgive us for our disobedience. Help us to be obedient to your will in our life. Help us to more clearly understand what it is, is your will for our life. Father, we so badly want to serve you. We so badly want to be obedient to your will in our life. Help us to see it clearly. Father, help this church to be a beacon of love and grace in this community. So, so that people who see us as this body of Christ will see in us a difference, a deeper love of neighbor, a deeper love of God, that we might be obedient to you. It's in the precious name of Jesus, whose blood and obedience paid the price for us. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.